Well, welcome to a really special episode of The Bill Bennett Show. We expose the existential threats to America and discuss the news of the day. And we are talking about the principal existential threat to America today, and that's China. Joining me today on this uh, special edition uh, of The Bill Bennett Show is Representative Mike Gallagher. Uh, He represents Wisconsin's 8th Congressional District. He's a Marine, and he is chairman of the new subcommittee, on China. So, Chairman Gallagher, first of all, I want to tell this audience that I, I know you a little bit. Both of my sons claim you, my older son, having gone to college around your time, I think he was behind you by a year or two, and my younger son, who uh, joined the Marine Corps and knew you there. So, uh, we feel you're a part of the family. If you'd like to be another son of Bill Bennett, you should kind of let me know. It just means that the Bennett boys have significant compromise on me uh, that could be wielded uh, whenever, they, <laughs> whenever they choose to. So, Right, right, yeah. right. They're like uh, balloons that have information, right? Is that it? For my younger and more vulnerable years. Yeah, younger. We all had them. Yates says the wise old men had, were the merriest of boys. So uh, no details there. Um, let's talk about this balloon. You are chairman of the subcommittee on China. What is more significant? I, I realize we, still a lot we don't know. Likely the information that was gathered or the fact that it floated across America for four days uh, undisturbed? I think the latter. Uh, And again, maybe that's just because there's so little we yet know, because this thing broke as I was flying back from D.C. to Wisconsin. So I haven't been in a, a skiff, a secure facility, and I haven't gotten an intel brief. So I'm open to the idea that the actual collection capability of this thing was limited. But then now they're sort of bragging about how they were able to collect against it. So these storylines coming out of the White House don't add up. But I think if you put this in the context of the way in which the Chinese Communist Party loves to humiliate our diplomats, think Blinken's first meeting with Chinese officials in Alaska, where they berated him for 60 minutes. Think Obama at the G20 in Hangzhou, where they refused to, you know, uh, bring the escalator out for Air Force One, and they sent fishing vessels on the Scarborough Shoal. Think all the way back to 1958, when Mao actually tried to humiliate Khrushchev, when the Soviets were at at the height of their power, putting him in on air conditioned rooms, inviting him to swim, knowing full well that Khrushchev couldn't uh, swim. This is right in the CCP playbook of trying to humiliate us and probe and test and see what they can get away with. So uh, to me, it would be shocking if the timing were coincidental. I suspect it's far more likely that they time this with Blinken's trip to Beijing. Uh, That just seems right in their their DNA to do something like this. And there's also claim being circulated by some that this has happened before. Balloons crossed the United States before uh, sent by the Chinese during the Trump administration and, and earlier. So I've talked with numerous high-level Trump officials about this claim in the last 48 hours. Uh, and all of them have said that they were not briefed on an incident like this. So either it's not true or it did happen and military officials didn't brief civilian officials or White House officials, or for some reason, this was just an internal Pentagon thing. Now, that seems a bit crazy to me. I, you know, I, I obviously the threshold for what you wake the president up for is is ambiguous at times. But, you know, if a Chinese surveillance balloon is in American airspace, that's something that should at least be in the presidential yeah. Yeah. daily briefs. Oh, no, by the way, if it's true that this happened, let's say, three or four times before, all the more reason why we should have a well-developed standard operating procedure yeah. for shooting it down or or disabling it safely before it just lazily floats over America, uh, insulting us, you know, uh, at every inch of earth that passes over. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, following you, uh, I saw this morning a uh, former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe. I don't know if you saw him, but uh, Ratcliffe said uh, unambiguously, "This is not this has not happened before. Certainly didn't happen when he was director of national intelligence." And perhaps something happened over Guam or Hawaii, so this never happened over the continental United States. Before, I don't know. I mean, but if Ratcliffe, who is high integrity guy, very smart guy, is saying he as DNI is unaware of it, then something that doesn't add up with the messaging coming out of the White House. The other thing we had here, uh, Bill, is um, the Bloomberg report that suggests the administration tried to keep the American people in the dark. In other words, they were content to just let it float, hoping no one would see it. And remember, the reason they were forced to say something publicly is that civilians in Montana saw this thing because they didn't want to upset Blinken's visit to Beijing. Now that's crazy to me. If that's true. I mean, if you're so concerned about preserving a photo op with Xi Jinping that you're just trying to keep people in the dark on this, that that to me is foreign policy malpractice. Um, So a lot of this doesn't add up. And again, I just think when the dust settles, we look, we look weak, we look flat footed. How would we respond to a, a Taiwan scenario if we're so, you know, bumbling in our response to this? Yeah, great, uh, great question. And uh, I want to get to that. But analogous to my question about, you know, what's uh, what's more significant, the, f- the fact of the balloon floating over uh, the mainland United States for, for four days. By the way, I-, I kept screaming at the television, Alaska is a state, you know, it is part of the United States. <laughs> and it was floating over Alaska. It was floating over the United States. Um, and uh, talk about a place to shoot it down might have might have disturbed a grizzly bear. But uh, there's a lot of space. There's a hell of a lot of space up there. The Aleutian Islands. We were tracking. Yeah, well, that's right. Islands. That's yeah, right. I mean, that debris excuse doesn't make sense. Yeah. But analogous to my question about, you know, what's, what's more important, the fact that it floated across the country or the information. And you answered that. I was very interested to hear in your interview on uh, on Fox News of Maria, your emphasis on the United States penetration uh, of the CCP, American universities. This is something I know uh, something uh, something about. Um, what, what's the greater danger to us right now? Uh, Chinese military and military buildup and their strength, uh, the threatening of, uh, of Taiwan or their penetration of the U.S. We know about their virtual ownership of American corporations. And um, I'm sorry to say even some sports leagues like the NBA and the universities. I mean, obviously, we have to work on all fronts. What keeps you up at night uh, in terms of worry, what they're doing here or what they're doing there? Well, I I think about it kind of as uh, a sprint and a marathon. In other words, if we conceive of our long-term competition as a marathon, owing in large part to Pillsbury's book with that title, Mm -hmm. it's as if to qualify for the marathon, you have to win the short-term sprint. So really what keeps me up at night, what I'm obsessed with is ensuring that deterrence holds across the Taiwan Strait. That being said, Bill, to your question, it's really hard to separate the domestic infiltration and corruption from the pure military problem in Taiwan, because and one thing I alluded to in that interview is I think they're doing things here to weaken our will yeah. to fight or weaken our willingness yeah. to defend Taiwan. And if we're so dependent on them economically, how can we deter in a military sense? And when we do these war games, you know, we never really war game the economic and financial side of this thing. DOD tends to do it in a, its own kind of cylinder of excellence that's purely focused on the kinetic side of this. Or let's say our our critical infrastructure was the target of a massive preemptive cyber attack. And people suddenly had questions about where they're getting water from or the purity of that water in their house. 
are we really willing to go to war over Taiwan? So I think they're very intimately connected in a way that people don't understand. When it comes to education, I mean, that to me is the long-term threat, right? That's yeah, we, sure. You know, there's something that General Dunford said that I always come back to at the Halifax International Forum like six years ago. He was talking about this controversy over Google employees not willing to work with the Pentagon, but being willing to yep. build AI centers yep. in Beijing. And he turned to the audience and he said, you know, we're the good guys. We're the good guys. And I think yeah. it's sort of like the ideological offensive at American universities is designed to convince us that we're not the good guys, right? That's that right. American values are garbage and that, you know, it's, it's, there's a weird confluence of the worst forms of wokeism and, and CCP propaganda. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And what is that uh, Chinese uh, law, I believe, uh, that uh, every uh, Chinese student in America uh, from from the CCP, and there's what, 300,000 of them, something like that, is an agent of the state. Yeah, well, there's the, the national intelligence law from 2017, uh, which basically means that there's no such thing as a private company in China. And what we're seeing actually in, in Chinese companies and even in some American companies that have a presence in China is they embed CCP cells into their corporate governance structure. Or even where those don't officially exist, you have major CEOs in China, like the head of ByteDance, which owns TikTok, which have to pay fealty to the Chinese Communist Party. He went out there and said they have to ensure all future product lines follow appropriate political control from the CCP. So I really think one of the big ideas as we do our work on the select committee is going to be to really eviscerate this idea that there's a there's such a thing as a private company in China. They just blur the lines in a way that that's meaningless. Um, and I think there's a lot of naivety <laughs> among Wall Street and American corporations about that fact or willful blindness. It's like they have golden blinders on sometimes because right. they want money from China. And there's no such thing as a private student either. Yes. As a student who is not an agent of the state, at least under Chinese law. They may feel differently once they get here, but under Chinese law, they are obligated to report information, to spy on us uh, and, uh, and and report back, correct? A hundred percent. And Bill, I'd be curious to get your take given your your massive experience in the education space. You know, my, my cynical assessment is a lot of these universities, I mean, they like the Chinese money, right? It's an easy source of money for them. Um, and, and maybe if I'm being more charitable, I'd say it's a hard thing sometimes to distinguish between legitimate Chinese student here wanting to study at you know the best universities versus actual PLA affiliate. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's it's greed. I think the other thing we got to look at are these these university endowments. I think there's questions as to whether we should allow them to invest in China and subsidize Absolutely. communist genocide and PLA military modernization. But I don't know. Higher ed just seems to have lost the plot here a little bit. Yeah, they've lost the plot. They want the money. And the bottom line is they're they're soft uh, and they're soft on China and hard on the United States. General Dunford may have said we're the good guys, but there are an awful lot of university professors who do not believe that and who teach that. And they're not, I'm afraid that uh, uh, to say an awful lot of students who are buying that, buying that as well, and that it seems to me, and I, and, and I know we can't keep you much longer, Chairman, is the most important thing, and the most important thing for you to do. Here I am advising you, Donald Trump. It seemed to me did one thing that was very, very important. Uh, he alerted the United States to the danger of China and the, the perfidy of China. Uh, he put that up on the radar screen. Now we have to we we have to go forward and we have to go and amplify and amplify that. Uh, that is, um, this is a real danger. 
Uh, you cannot embrace uh, what it is they're doing. You have to understand uh, what's behind their, their motivation. And that, Mr. Chairman, may, may fall to you as much as anyone else in this country uh, as chairman of that, uh, as that subcommittee. To my mind, that's right, because you're the right guy. Because nobody knows this stuff like you do. I just want to be sure that uh, you get in front of every microphone possible uh, to uh, to talk about this. How do we get a greater appreciation of the danger of China before we all get uh, seduced by this? I think the most important thing, as we've been talking about the last 15 minutes, is to understand that this isn't just an over there problem. It's a right yep, here yep, yep. at home problem. It's not a matter of some obscure territorial claim in the South or East China Sea or sort of these phrases we throw around like the rules-based international order. It's a question of American sovereignty that we're talking about here. And that's why it, it's something that people in Northeast Wisconsin should care about. Uh, right. That's right. Um, right. So connecting the dots from, you know, East Asia to the American heartland and also pointing out that this is a pattern of aggression. This is these aren't isolated incidents on university campuses or you know, a rogue weather balloon just happens to come over America. It's a pattern of aggression. It's what I've said is a new Cold War being waged against us. And it's not just China. They have some junior partners of convenience here, you know, Russia, Iran, et cetera, et cetera. So pointing out that fact and then using that as a way to convince the American people of the stakes of this competition, which I think there are existential, right? We're not, yeah, again, we're not sure. talking about a military competition. Ultimately, I believe we're talking about an ideological competition between two competing forms of government, one of total party control, a techno-totalitarian vision for the future versus our constitutional system of self-government. And getting the American people to understand the urgency and the stakes, I think, is our most difficult and important task on the committee. I just wish I hadn't wasted, you know, my undergraduate years you know, having fun with your sons and, and it actually studied Mandarin. But, you know, I'm trying I'm trying my best to make up for it. Well, the other part of that Yates poem is the merry hearted boys make the best of old men. <laughs> so and you're not you're not close to being an old man. We have to wrap this up. Just one quick question. Taiwan, uh, if the Chinese cross the straits, uh, they send missiles across. Do we get in, will will do you think we will get engaged? I do. Uh, well, I guess it's uh, there's a scenario in which this president uh, would decide to sit it out uh, or say he doesn't have the authority to take action against the Chinese mainland. I think what makes that hard is in any war game I've played, American targets quickly get taken out and Americans die. And I think once that happens, we're going to have to be engaged all the more reason why we don't want war to break out and i think this is an important message because you know we have obviously we've had a disagreement in our party about the level of international engagement for a long time it's not new right there you know go back to 1952 eisenhower versus taft i think we need to remind ourselves that ours is a defensive strategy we're not talking about remaking a society in our image we're not talking about even spreading democracy in this case we're talking about defending the frontiers of freedom from authoritarian aggression and in the process preventing World War III, right? Look at Ukraine right now. Deterrence failed and it's costing us a lot of money and a lot of lives. Now, people can disagree about the level of involvement, but there's no question we'd be in a better situation if we had done the things necessary to prevent that deterrence failure. So what we want to do is to convince Xi Jinping that if he tries to make a move, it won't be successful. Not today. We have to elevate our deterrent posture before it's too late. We didn't scare him much with this balloon then, did we? 
No. I mean, if, we, if we're if we're hanging and hawing about how to shoot down a, a balloon, <sighs> how are we going to fulfill, you know, well, the, the president's commitments that he keeps walking, uh, having staff walk back about defending Taiwan from aggression? Uh, well, and just one thing, I think Radcliffe mentioned it after you, we go help in Taiwan and China immediately says, forget the pharmaceuticals or the yeah. precursors to the pharmaceuticals on which we are largely dependent. Right. And there, we, and there they, are a host, host of other things we could mention where we are dependent on their quote goodwill or at least their cooperation. They threatened to do that in the early stage of the pandemic. And I think that was a wake up call for a lot of people. You uh-huh. know, the dependency goes into crazy places. For example, uh, so-called energetics. These are propellants, explosives, and pyrotechnics. The things we put in our weapons to make them go and go boom. A lot of those are foreign sourced in China, which is crazy. The things yeah, we might well, use in a yeah. war against China are made in China. So It's nuts, nuts. All right. Well, the education has to begin. Madison says, you know, all these things about, you know, in the Federalist Papers about enlarging the size, uh, about factions, uh, about uh, separation of powers. He says, in the end, it depends upon the American people and their virtue and their good sense. Uh, and so um, that's where we got to go. And we got got to let them got to let them know. Uh, last question. Uh, you got to get a new quarterback at Green Bay or what is the story there? I don't know. I just right now, I think he gets traded to the Jets or, or something. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll see. By the way, you know, there's a connection between the Packers and James Madison. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Madison was successful at the Constitutional Convention because he showed up early. And of course, he got there before anyone else and chose the best seat. And was Uh, the most well-prepared. And Lombardi was successful because at West Point, via Red Blake, he learned the concept of what would become Lombardi time, which is that if you're on time, you're already 15 minutes late. So you got to show up early. There's a lesson in that. The the the, the story of America runs from Madison <laughs> right through Lambeau Field. All right. Well, I, well, I'm thinking new quarterback too, and I'm a Bills fan. Oh boy. But but you know I, what a mess that was. What a disappointment that was. But that's for another that's for another time. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, we're so glad you're there. Uh, we're counting on you a lot, and uh, we appreciate your time today. Thanks very much. And Mrs. Bennett very much appreciates your uh, willingness to come and serve on that congressional committee for her very worthy uh, event and charity. Wow, so, that's uh, very nice. Thank you, Dr. Bennett, for all your mentorship through the years. Well, <laughs> I don't think I taught you very much, but uh, I'm glad to be in the same arena with you uh, applauding it. Thanks, sir. Have a good one. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You know, you can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. How do they do that, Claude? Oh, just search uh, Bill Bennett. And should they feel free to email the show? Yes, just email billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.